Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. From director Maya Sarfati comes her latest documentary film, Love It Was Not, a tragic love story between a prisoner and a Nazi. Beautiful and full of life, Helena Citron is brought to the most notorious concentration camp in Nazi Germany, Auschwitz, as a young woman and soon finds unlikely solace under the protection of a prison guard and SS officer, Franz Wunsch. He falls in love with her and her magnetic singing voice. Risking execution if caught, they went on with their forbidden relationship until the war ended and the camp was liberated. Thirty years later, something happens. And we'll leave it there because this is such a remarkable film. There's so much into this story. It's about love. It's about survival, family, determination, and so many other things. The film, again, is called Love It Was Not. We're joined today by the director, Maya Sarfati. Maya, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is such an improbable story. I'm curious where you heard about it. And at that point, did you make a decision you wanted to make it into a film? Or how did that process unfold once you heard about this remarkable story? Well, I actually know the story since I was uh, very young. I believe I was only seven or eight when I first heard uh, the story. Uh, Mickey Marin, she's Rosa's daughter. She was my first acting teacher when I was just a little child. And she trusted the story into my hands out of the understanding that one day I will be the voice to bring the story into the world. Wow. Yeah, big responsibility. And I actually tried to tell it in many forms and in all kinds of mediums along the years, but it never felt quite right. You know, you use the word unbelievable, unbelievable story. Uh, well, every time I tried to write it as a novel or as a, uh, or as a script, it felt like a sick mind invented this incredible story. Um, so I was uh, in this loop for many years, till five years ago, uh, Mickey and I contacted Dagma. She's the SS officer daughter. And we learned that she is very open, willing to talk and to cooperate. And when she gave me his diaries and home videos, I believe that was the point in which I realized I finally have the means to tell the full and complete story of Elena, Franz, and Rosa. Yeah. Well, and what's wonderful about the telling of the story is not only what you just mentioned about the material and how Franz not only had a diary, but this home video from, I think, 2003 where he lays out quite a bit of the story to his daughter. I believe that was Dagmar that was yeah. he was talking to. And so you have that side of it. But also in telling the story, the challenge you would have as a documentary filmmaker would be Auschwitz. How do you how do you portray that? How did you, you know, how do you make that part of such an important, it's obviously a huge part of the story. How does that work? And I thought you came up with a very clever an illuminating way to do it. I would before we get too far into the story, because I think it's important people understand this is a very powerful film, very emotionally compelling, and it has to be done in a way that is that you're able to highlight that. So tell me a little bit about how you came up with the idea of how to tell the story. 
Well, you actually uh, pointed one of the biggest challenges I had uh, as as a director, because uh, the little footage there is of Auschwitz is very known and very worn out. And uh, I had to figure out how am I going to tell the story? Cinema is a visual art form. It was frustrating, I must say. But it's, it, at one point, it was, it was actually like in the movies. I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, I woke up my husband, Nir Saar, which is also the producer of the film, How Convenient. And I told him, I have it. I know. I know how to tell the story. And he was like, okay, tell me tomorrow morning. And I said, no, wake up, wake up. I have it. Because I realized the answer lies within uh, the story itself. For most of his life, Franz made these photo montages of Helena, placing her in different clothing and different backgrounds. I think it was a way for him to imagine an alternative life uh, in which they could have, could have been together. And Franz did it in order to see the pictures he wanted to see. And I borrowed the technique and developed it in order to see the pictures I wanted to see. I worked with two wonderful Israeli artists, Shlomit Gofer and Ayala Talbenda. Uh, we worked with real, real archival uh, photos from the period, from the war and the camps. And we made this kind of 3D multi-layered photo montage. It was all handmade and shot in a studio. Uh, it was intentionally made quite roughly. Uh, in this way, I thought that the audience will be able to distinguish between a real valid historical document and imaginary illustration of my creation in every moment in the film. It was very important to me that it will be clear uh, what is real and what is imagination. Because even so, our work uh, was based on really thorough research and based on the testimonies I gathered. Uh, it still is my imagination, the way the, the scene is composed, is being um, placed in the situation. So it's it's beautiful. It, I mean, in the sense that it really tells a story. And and also so much of what you just described is based off of one photo of mm-hmm. Helena at Auschwitz. I assume that's where it was taken. It was Auschwitz mm-hmm. because she's wearing the garb that the yeah. prisoners were given. But what's incongruous about it is pointed out in the film. Well, you can describe the photo. Why is it so out of place in, in the sense of being from Auschwitz? We used to see prisoners in Auschwitz or uh, other uh, death camps, very thin. We have the word uh, uh, Muslim, which describes the, the, the starving prisoners uh, in Auschwitz. And in this picture, Helena is chubby and smiling. And she has hair and she look, looks healthy. And you're like, wow, can it be? Is it Auschwitz? How can it be? Well, uh, as Dagmar, is telling, the, the SS officer daughter, is telling uh, in, the, in the film, uh, Franz, the SS officer, took this picture himself. They met 10 months after Helena arrived to Auschwitz and they had a relationship uh, for, for almost uh, two and a half years till the American and the Russian came to, to free Auschwitz. Their, their first meeting was a very dramatic one. It was his birthday. 
and one of the couples organized uh, a celebration for him. And Helena, uh, she demanded Helena to sing for him because she was a great singer and she sang and he fell in love with her. And actually Helena is telling that the song that she sang at that, uh, in, in that moment was Liebe war es nie in German. Love it was not the name of the film. Franz actually in his diaries, this is not in the film. Uh, he tells that the, the song that he sang, the words are, my heart is homesick for your love. So her version, love it was not. His version, my heart is homesick for your love. I think that uh, above all, I think the power of the story lies, I would say differently. Uh, I think the story offers a, a very unique fem female perspective. Uh, you, talks about, you talked about love. Can we even talk in terms of love uh, in the situation of a Jewish prisoner and an SS guard in Auschwitz? Can we, can we speak about free will? Could she say no? Was it, was it even an option? So um, many people ask me, do I think she truly loved him? I don't think I can speak in terms of love. I think uh, that along the years, she did develop a, a kind of um, positive feelings uh, for him. Gratitude. He saved her more, more than once. He saved her sister. He risked his life for her. But for me, uh, this is my answer. Yeah. I think that the film offers various answers to these questions. I believe, I hope that by watching it, uh, each and every one in the audience will be able to choose for himself the right answer. Yeah. But as I see it, love is a tricky word uh, to use in this unbelievable situation. Love, it was not. And that, that is the title of the film. I would say their relationship, in some manner of speaking, provided her with some hope that she would get out of that alive. And also over time, this relationship that they developed, love or not, it's an impossible situation. It, it, just as you described, they're in, a, they're in a concentration camp. People are being killed. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are dying every day. It's, it's not possible to, as you described, to have that option to say no. So, whatever, As I said, she did whatever she had to do in order to survive. Right, exactly. But their relationship provided her with at least a sliver of hope that she would survive. I think that's hope. fair. And, and a basic advantage, he gave her food, he helped her stay in a good job. It was very dramatic in Auschwitz, what kind of a job you had. And working in the Canada facility where they sorted all the belongings of the Jewish who came to Auschwitz was the best place to be in Auschwitz. And I'm talking about it in the film, the, the combination of having the relationship with France and Working in the Canada facilities was a great, great luck she had. Uh, luck she, she, she took, she used, she did whatever she needed in order to survive. Right. But also it comes with some degree of risk in that at any moment, one of her fellow, the prisoners that she was in the camp with could have outed her or an SS officer could have outed him. In some manner speaking, a little bit of that 
did take place, but certainly no one no one made a concerted effort to reveal their relationship in a way that would have put her at jeopardy. But it was still a dangerous situation, no matter. Of course, of course, for both of them. Both of them. Uh, you know, for France, being in a relationship with a Jewish prisoner, um, death sentence if if he was caught for, for that. And, well, France's character is, is very interesting. He's very ambivalent, uh, as I see it. You can't really speak about him uh, as pure evil. He was a sadistic SS officer in Auschwitz. Auschwitz, there is no doubt about that. He used to, be, to beat people after my thorough research in Austria uh, regarding his trial in, in, this, in 72. I can say that I'm, I'm quite confident uh, that he took uh, a, day, a day-to-day part in the selection uh, process in Auschwitz. So he was from the bad guys. There is no doubt about that. But he also was quite a romantic and tender man that is capable of pure love and compassion. Risked his life more than once for the woman he loved, uh, Helena. And also Helena, you know, she's not this classic imaginary victim. She's a strong woman with a strong survival drive, willing to do whatever she needs in order to save herself and to save her sister. And actually, these gray zones between evil and pure, these are the areas that drives me as a storyteller. This is what fascinated me in the first place. This is why I chose to dedicate five years of my life uh, to make this film. Well, and that's where most of us live. We're not heroes. We're not imaginary figures out of a fairy tale or a, a tale of of great bravery and such. We are human beings and we are, we are dogged by inconsistencies in our behavior and in the things that we believe and not believe. And, and this is all of that, but again, an extraordinary story. Nonetheless, I just want to one more time, uh, let our listeners know that we're, we're, the film is called love. It was not. And we're, we're talking with Maya Sarfati. There is so much more. There's more about the, the, uh, the tale of, after the war and what happened with Franz and Helena's role in all of that. But I want to leave that to, to the viewers, if that's okay, if we leave some mystery. Of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> There's just a lot here. And uh, my congratulations to you on this great work. The film is opening here in Los Angeles on November 5th. It'll be opening at the Lemley Royal, as well as the Lemley Town Center in Encino, Lemley Royals in Los Angeles, also starts at uh, the Quad Cinema in New York City. So for the people who are listening to the sound of our voice in New York City on November 4- 5th as well, you'll be able to check out Love, It Was Not. It's an extraordinary story. <laughs> and I'm so glad you were able to tell it in a way that is so engaging and um, some of these interviews had to predate your involvement in the project. Some of the interviews with some of the survivors, or did they? Did you were you able to talk to a lot of these people that survived the Auschwitz? Well, uh, I actually spent 2016 and most of 2017 at the Yad Vashem archive in Jerusalem, uh, mm-hmm. looking for testimonies of women. Survivors who were among the first transport to Auschwitz uh, with Helena or worked in the Canada facilities with Helena, again. 
I watched dozens, if not hundreds of, wow, shocking testimonies of Auschwitz survivor, survivors, hoping they would remember and mention Helena and her sister Rosa and Franz. Uh, I can tell you, Mike, that I used to come back home devastated. It was miserable days in the archive. One thing is for sure, I cried more than usual back then, but there were also moments of light in these days, at least from a scriptwriter point of view, because uh, to my surprise, quite a few of the survivors devoted precious minutes of their personal testimony to this story. And those few minutes were kind of a window, you know? Through it, I could look into history. The words helped me understand what's the real day-to-day -day meaning of the bombastic headline, an affair between an SS officer and a Jewish prisoner in Auschwitz. I was able to locate seven of the women, interview them myself. Two of them are no longer alive by now and have not seen the film. The rest of the testimonies in the film are the product of the very important and valuable efforts of collecting testimonies by Yad Vashem and the Shoah Foundation by Steven Spielberg. I call these brave and beautiful women in the film the curse of the thousand women. For me, all of them together are the first, fourth protagonist of the film, Helena, Rosa, Franz, and the women's chorus. The course of the thousand women, because Helena was among the first thousand uh, women who arrived to Auschwitz uh, in 42, in March 42. And going back to, to my chorus, just like in the classical uh, Greek tragedy, the chorus accompanies and unfolds the story. But there is one big difference. Here, the chorus does not speak in one voice. On the contrary, each and every one of them brings a different voice and a different gaze at Helena. And, and the whole story, not only Elena. And I love each and every one of these women. They are brave, they are honest, they are nasty, they are empathetic and full of envy. They are very human. This is more than anything. Very, very human. They are great. Maya, thank you. Thank you so much for that answer. And thank you so much for the film, Love It Was Not. We've been talking with the director of this beautiful documentary film about unbelievable story, but one that will pull you in a lot of different directions over the course of watching it. Maya Sarfati, thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.